Well, our text is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, beginning uh, in verse 9. And I'm going to open with prayer today, and then we'll get launched on this text. You can tell by the screen slide there, the name, or the title rather, is Loneliness, Leadership, and the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we come today, we do give thanks for the opportunity of, of listening to you through your word. And I would pray now, God, that you would guide us and lead us and direct us in this, that you would speak to us through your word as you've already spoken to us through this time of worship. And we would pray now your best for us, Lord as we would look to your word, as we would learn, Heavenly Father, about loneliness, about your wisdom for loneliness, your wisdom regarding leadership, and wisdom that Solomon gives to us regarding the presence of the Lord. We commit now this time to you in prayer, asking in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to open up today a little bit different. Uh, you know, I was thinking about ways to illustrate wisdom or examples, and this is, this is in no way illustrating that necessarily, but I will say something. We did something yesterday afternoon uh, that we don't normally do. We went to a movie, Gloria and I, and we went with uh, our son, uh, Elliot, our youngest son, Elliot, and his uh, significant other, Ashlyn, and we were asked to go to the movie Jesus Revolution. And I rec as soon as you say that, you kind of get worried because you, already people are going to be maybe some critical and some not and, and all this stuff. And I, I have to say, when I go to a movie, I, I go and I, I do try to listen with a the theological lens. I do that. I want to be discerning. But I also want to just be able to enjoy the work and the movement of God. And I think Jesus' revolution is a, is a wonderful accounting of that. And uh, albeit it's not Lutheran, all right, just know that. But that's okay, you know, that's okay. And uh, it, was, it was just a great, powerful movie of seeing how God worked in individual lives and it just was convicting to me in a number of different ways. So I, I would encourage uh, the movie and uh, in that. But one of the things that struck me in the movie, and I wanted to open up today in this way, was a scene that happened a couple different times uh, during the movie by whoever the fellow was up front uh, that, uh, that time uh, preaching. And, and he would take his Bible and he would say, this is God's word. Let's open it together. This is God's word. Let's open it together. And I would challenge us in the same way. As we gather today to, to hear the word of God, this is God's word. And let's open it together today. And we're going to do so by looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So if you would, turn in your Bibles or your smartphone, whatever uh, resource that you have available. I was originally going to read uh, the text in its entirety, uh, but I, I decided to break it down today into three sections because really we have three uh, sections that are going to be talking about our sermon today. So the theme that we're going to build upon is this. Really going right here real quickly. What wisdom does Solomon share regarding loneliness, leadership, and the Lord? So that's going to be the theme. What wisdom does Solomon share regarding leadership, loneliness, leadership, and the Lord? Heavenly Father, as we now... Open up your word. We do pray for your guidance in this. And we would pray that our hearts would be full of your wisdom and of your insight. And that, Lord, we would not be moved by the distractions of the day, but rather we would now focus upon the truth of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Ecclesiastes 4, I'm going to begin in verse 9 today and read uh, down through verse 12. This is going to be the text that we're going to use uh, to talk about loneliness. All right. Notice what it says. Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one 
will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And in these verses, we see what I want to use today for my first point. And I'm going to talk today about the pandemic of loneliness. Interesting this week, as I was preparing uh, for this message, we had a couple of major studies be released. And you probably have read some of those details or have seen that. But there were a couple major studies done, one by the CDC, uh, regarding uh, loneliness and, and youth suicide. And what I found intriguing especially is the one on loneliness uh, talked about how uh, in a survey of Americans, I don't know what the whole, there wasn't every American, of course, but in a survey that was done, uh, it talked about how nearly 60% of adults, 18 and over, 60% of adults report a lack of companionship and a lack of a meaningful relationship. 60% of adults. Now, what's really crazy about that is that 80% of individuals 18 to 24 years old. That means our teenagers. 80% of our teenagers today report the same. A lack of companionship and a lack of meaningful relationship. 80% of our young people would say that today. And then I thought to myself, we live in an age of 1,000, 2,000 friends on Facebook, and yet what? We are a lonely people. And Solomon speaks that. Even more tragic than just loneliness, and that's tragic. I'm not trying to downplay that, but even more tragic than that was another set of numbers that came out that talked about last year alone in American high schools, American uh, students were uh, surveyed, again, uh, grades um, 9 through 12, and it talked about 18% of American high school students had a plan for suicide. 18%. Nearly one in five then had thought about it, had actually made a plan to commit suicide last year. 10% of them did. I think those are tragic numbers for us today. And they're tragic because they speak to what, again, I would call the pandemic of loneliness that afflicts not just our young people, but old people as well. And Solomon, I think, addresses that then. So what are we going to do with this? Well, first of all, notice what Solomon does. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. What's Solomon doing? <coughs> Excuse me. Solomon is pointing out the fact that, that relationships are good. Solomon is pointing out the fact that we, that we need one another. That this idea of of going life alone and, and being, being my own solitary warrior, that, that's not within God's necessary design for us. Now, again, I recognize many of you are widowed today. Many of you are single today. And in this season of time, may, maybe you are alone. We recognize that. But even those who are widowed, even those who are single, there is the importance of having these relationships, significant relationships with others uh, around you. That, that's so very important. And I think even this text speaks to us. Two are better than one. We, we need that. 
We learn that even in the garden when God created Adam and Eve and where God created man first, of course, but he said it is not good for man to be alone. So we recognize that, that that's part of that, that we, wanna, that we wanna be, that we need that relationship, that we need uh, that togetherness. It's interesting because the text then goes on and this is the part that, that most pastors read and I've done this many times, use this uh, in a wedding and it says, uh, goes on, two are better than one. If one falls, you pick each other up. But go down to verse 12. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. And this is the verse I just love. It says, a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Now that's that verse that oftentimes that pastors would read and will use at a wedding. And not that it, it's not that it's not appropriate. It's an appropriate verse for that. But in main context here, that idea of the cord of three strands isn't maybe as much marriage as it, as it can be, but rather it is relationship of any sort. It's, it's husband and wife, yes, but it's, but it's others coming together. It's a relationship, you see, that is being built. And that's what Solomon is pointing out here, the importance of relationship, the importance of companionship, and the importance of friendship. And I would dare day, say today that as we would go through the journey of life, when we have a blessed event, when we receive pleasure in our relationships or in our life, what do we want to do? When we hear of a baby being born, when we hear of a grand opening of a new business, when, we're, when, we, uh, when we learn of an anniversary or we learn of a significant event in somebody's life, what do we want to do? We want to what? We want to tell somebody about it, don't we? We want to share that. So our pleasure is multiplied as we share it with others. But also, when our hearts are heavy, what do we want to do? I think there's wonderful blessing in being able to share that burden with others, too. And I'm not saying that we blab it to the whole world. But I am saying that I think all of us need to have that group of people that we can share both pleasure and pain with and do so in trust and in confidence. And I believe that God desires us then to be able to do that. And Solomon is pointing out the reality of the necessity of that, of those relationships, that we'd be able to identify one or two even of those relationships that we can trust, somebody that we can confide in, somebody that we can come forward to. And what do we call that then? What's the word that we would use to describe somebody like that? They would be a what? They would be a friend. A friend. And sadly, I think so many people walk through life really in absence of friend. They might have friends on Facebook, but by and large, they lack those relationships with others that are needed for a friendship. Then I began to think about what Scripture says about friends. What, what are, according to Scripture, what's a friend do? Number one, a friend keeps us accountable. If you are truly a good friend to somebody, you hold them accountable. You don't allow them to run willy-nilly and to do whatever they want, causing damage to themselves or to others, but rather you are an individual that holds them accountable. That, that's what friends do. I think it's important, too, that we remember that friends also bring us to Jesus. Mark chapter 2 gives us this incredible picture, and you guys know it well. Jesus is teaching uh, in a home, and the home is packed. And remember this this guy comes and he's a paralytic. And, and who, was, who was carrying him? You guys remember that? Who was carrying him? Friends. Four men were carrying him. He couldn't go himself. And they got to the front door and it was too crowded to get in. So what did these friends do? Did they just drop him at the door and leave? No. What did they do? Went up to the roof. 
dug a hole in the roof and dropped him down. I think that's a wonderful picture. And again, that's not the main point of that accounting, by the way. All right, I, I get that. The main point is not about friends. It's about Jesus as God himself being able to heal and forgive sin. That's what the main point is. However, I think a sub-point can easily be made that this is really an accounting of friends. That's what friends do. They, they bring us to Jesus. And then I'm reminded of the account in 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16, depicts one of the dearest friendships that we see in the Bible between David and Saul's son named Jonathan. David uh, was being pursued by Saul, Jonathan's father, remember? He had gotten to a point, he was rather discouraged, depressed, he was hiding out in the wilderness of Ziph. And 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16 comes along, and it says, Jonathan went out and found uh, David at that point, his lowest point. And then that scripture says, just so simply, he says, he encouraged him in God. He encouraged him in God. That's what friends do. We encourage one another in God. We, we draw alongside one another to be accountable to one another. And, and we desire then to encourage each other. And then, we're thinking about this today. Why do you think we're doing the Beat the Winter Blues event today? Did Amy just need something to do to fill her time? No. This is a big event. It takes a ton of time to plan. But why do we do that? We do it to build relationship. We do it that you might come and, and get to know somebody maybe that you don't know. Maybe work with somebody that you don't see at church very often. Maybe one of those people from the mission. Have opportunity with one of those guests to be able to interact and to engage with them. That, that's what we hope for. Why do we serve meals on Wednesday nights? Yeah, part of it's so you can get fed. <laughs> But part of the motive is that you would hang out with us and that you would be able to fellowship and interact. We, we need that, you see. We need that connection. We need that intimacy, if you would, just of, of knowing others. And, and I think it's a dangerous thing, this idea of solitariness that we've kind of built in. COVID has done that to us, and many of us have kind of perpetuated that, that I'm just going to be by myself. I'm going to be alone. I don't believe that's God's will for us. And as a result, there is a pandemic of loneliness not only in America, but I think even in churches today. So dear friends, I believe that God is calling us forward today to, to be a friend. I think that one of the best ways to reach out to somebody that is lonely, somebody that is hurting, somebody that is struggling, is that we would just be there to listen, to hear, to, to reach out to them. And I would ask us that we would be able to identify somebody in our own lives that we able, are able to share blessing with, as well as burden. And I would, I would challenge us today. Are you that same person to somebody else today? Do you have somebody in your sphere that they can share with you their blessing and their burden? And I would pray that that is a two-way street, that we would indeed have that individual because, dear friends, we are in a pandemic of loneliness. And the only way that we can overcome that is to come to that place of relationship and of companionship and of coming together uh, as a family of faith. All right, point number one. Point number two. We're going to talk about the problems of... Boy, how, what happened there? Oh, sorry about that. This was how I was going to close this point. Sorry, I thought I had that mixed up. Who knows who this picture is? Oh, come on, you guys. Let's be honest here. 8 o'clock, they're okay. There's a few. Thanks for being honest. If you know who this person is, number one, you're old, all right? <laughs> uh, 
And so, so most of you are going, what in the world is Pastor doing? Well, this is a picture of Charlene Tilton, all right? And for those of you, I'll give you a little refresher course. Uh, Charlene Tilton was one of the famous actors. You ever heard of the show called Dallas? All right, yeah, amen. It was like the most popular. I see that back there. That's great. I, one of the most popular shows on TV. And I remember even, this was in high school, that I adjusted my schedule so I could be home on the nights that Dallas was on TV. I mean, it was such a big deal. And of course, uh, J.R. Ewing and, uh, you know, Bobby and all these guys. Well, Lucy was one of the main characters. She was 17 years old. And as you can tell, a, a relatively attractive young woman. Age 17, on probably the most popular TV show of a, of a season of time in America. And the question came to be, how can a young woman be grounded in that kind of circumstance? And I was reading an interview that she had given, and this is what she said. This is why I wanted to close on this point uh, of Charlene Tilton. Is that, you know what she did? She credited, number one, her church family. She said it was through her church family that she found individuals to keep her grounded in the faith. And then she said not only her church family, but her Dallas family, particularly a fellow named Larry Hagman, who played the despicable J.R. Ewing. And it was through that relationship that Charlene Tilton, and her, and her own faith, of course, too, was able to navigate some of the greatest pressures that probably any young person has ever uh, gone through. But I use her as an example because she spoke so clearly in this interview of the importance of relationship. People, we are built for relationship. And I pray that we would be a church and individuals that pursue relationship. All right, point number one. Now, point number two, <laughs> the problems of leadership. I'll be shorter on this one. But problems of leadership, Solomon goes in through this text and he... Uh, talks about that too, uh, beginning uh, primarily in verse 13. Let's take a look at that. I'll read through that a little bit to help us get a gauge of what's going on. It says, A poor yet wise lad is better than an old foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. And I have seen all the living under the sun throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him, there is no end to all the people, to all that who were before them and even to the ones that will come later that will not be happy with him. And this too is vanity and striving after the wind. Now, I'm going to be a little bit briefer on this point, but I want to make reference to the fact that most Bible commentators, as you read this text, what strikes us is that this most likely uh, in some way is a reference back to Solomon. And I say this because it's, it's talking about this leader that, that came into power and uh, over time, though, lost his way, lost his course. And we would recognize that to be true in Solomon's life. Came and, and really started strong, but there was a season of time we've talked about that Solomon, especially in his older age, had, had, had fallen away from the Lord. And there are at least two times in Scripture where God warns Solomon against this. And yet we would see the action that Solomon did as far as rejecting the ways of the Lord in some ways. And the consequence that this had not only upon him and his family, but upon the kingdom as well. And Solomon, we believe, is speaking to that fact that, 
that this is, this is something that had happened to him and that we need to be careful for that. Then Solomon is speaking to the reality of leadership. And any of you who have been in leadership, you know how this oftentimes works, that it's always the new popular person or new popular idea that, that carries clout. And, and oftentimes people's attention is diverted from, from the old guard to the new guard, that, that new guy with the new ideas and all these. And again, that's, that's not bad. We, we're called upon to have new ideas and new thoughts. But Solomon goes ahead and points out to the fact that, that this popularity, this wave of popularity oftentimes doesn't last. And in fact, oftentimes as a leader, we might find ourselves starting off popular and, and all of these things and yet later on find ourselves not to be so popular anymore. But I believe it's interesting because we can attribute this problem, if you would, primarily to one thing. And I believe the main problem, at least in leadership, as Solomon describes, is the inability or the unwillingness of these leaders to listen. They were refusing to listen. And Solomon, I think, came to a point where he refused to listen, primarily to the Word of God. But how dangerous it is, even as we as leaders refuse to listen to those around us, particularly those that, that we can trust and that we, that we would know would be wise uh, in their advice to us. And I think Solomon is speaking to the fact that what happens most, a lot of times with leaders is that there's a tendency to have authority corrupt. That as we have a place or position of authority, it's easy for us to take it for granted. It's easy for us even to abuse it. It's easy for us even to not listen to those around us. And I want to urge us today to recognize that some of those problems of leadership can be prevalent even in a church setting. They can be prevalent in a church or a business or anywhere else, but that we need to be aware of that. And Solomon is trying to draw us near to this idea that, that even though a leader may start off great and we love him and care for him, that, that if he doesn't continue in God's ways, if he doesn't continue listening not only to God's word but also to those around him, uh, that his demise and destruction uh, is very likely as well. So a pandemic of loneliness, problems of leadership, and for me anyway, probably the main point of today uh, as I walk through this text is number three, the presence of the Lord. Turn with me to chapter five, verse one, and notice what the text says as we move into this chapter. And Solomon is going to close this out by talking about the presence of the Lord. And I love how it says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know what they are doing is evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of a messenger of God it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Well, as we would close out, I love, I love this section because Solomon, I think, is really talking about worship. And he's, he's helping us understand what it is, I think, to worship rightly and, and to avoid problems even uh, in worship. 
And the number one key to that is to recognize as we enter into God's house what we're doing. Notice what Solomon says here. The first, the first phrase of chapter 5 is what? What is it? It says, guard your steps. What that means is to use care and to use caution. And I have oftentimes said, and I mean this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's real. This is probably the most dangerous place you could be today is in church. <laughs> and I say that because God is here. A holy God is here. And we are here to worship him. And I think that when Solomon says, guard your steps, he's urging us and he is warning us that we do so with great care and with great caution. Sadly, we have become a people that is so casual, not only towards God, but towards his things. And I think Solomon is drawing us back to, to a healthy fear of the Lord, that we would recognize that as we enter into particularly this place, we are entering into God's house, and God is with us. And therefore, Solomon says, guard your steps. And then Solomon says, listen. And I love that because I think I go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and that's the, the Shema. And the Shema tells the people of Israel, hear, O Israel, that the Lord your God is one. But it starts off, hear, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. Listen, O church. And the idea is that we gather to worship today. We're here to, we're here to listen to God. And we do that through the reading of his word, through the preaching of his word. I think we do that through song. We do that through prayer. We do that through communion. We do that through our fellowship. But all in all, we come and we, we, listen, to, we listen to God today. And then Solomon goes on, he says, don't offer up a sacrifice of fools. What's a sacrifice of fools? <laughs> Doesn't specifically tell us, but I think as we walk through that text, we can see some of the ideas there. As in Jesus' day, as in our day, there is a certain element of people that believe that as they just come to church and show up and sit down in church or if they offer up a bunch of big old prayers and grand words and all these things that that's pleasing to God and, and that's not so we're, we're called upon to, to listen, we're called upon uh, to come and to consider the holiness of God and if we're here today to prove to God that we're worthy that's a sacrifice of fools we're come, we come here today to declare our unworthiness and to receive the grace that he has given to us. We're not here to babble on and on, but rather we're here to listen to what God would say to us. And I think that that's so important for us to recognize today and how sometimes far that we have gotten, particularly maybe in the church in America today, have gotten away from fearing God even in our worship. That again, we've taken God many ways, we've made him small and, and we've taken him lightly. And I think that, that that's something that has to change within our heart of hearts, that we would rightly recognize that what God desires us of, of us is not some extravagant showboat experience of worship, but he desires worship from where? He desires worship from the heart. That's what God is looking at today. He's not looking at the size of our praise team. He's not looking at the fancy lights or uh, anything else. He's, he's looking at our hearts. He's looking at pastor's heart right now. And I think we need to recognize the importance of that, that as we gather today, that we want to enter in with a, with a righteous and holy fear of the Lord. And that's, that's what Solomon is warning us today. He's urging us that we would remember that. And I think that that's something that we have missed. And this whole text essentially is a treatise, if you would. It's a treatise against 
formalism in worship. I think it's a treatise against uh, extravagant, over-the-top stuff in worship. And I think that one of the things that, that we have, a hazard that we have just by our nature nowadays in contemporary culture, is that we love to seek out the next big thing, don't we? We love that next new thing, that, that thing that's just going to blow your mind. And we have people every day, every Sunday going from here to there, seeking out that next big thing, that next thing the pastor's going to say, or something like that. And I think that this text draws us back to the reality that that might not be the best way to worship. That God isn't desiring to find out what the next big thing is. And you know why that is? Because guess what? God is the big thing. He is the best thing. And we need to be a people that seek Him in all that we do. Notice how this text ends. Verse 7, the last two words of verse 7, what are they? Fear God, fear Him. And I think it's in those two words that we would capture the entire essence of our spiritual experience. That we are to be a people that fear God. That we have a people that have a right reverence for God. That that, that fear includes also this childlike trust in Him that he is true, not only to his promises, but to his words of judgment as well. God's word is truth, and we can find comfort in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's what it is to fear him, is to take God at his word. 